Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 31st of October 2010, entitled Stand Like a Soldier, and the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 34. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Well, if you'd like to open your Bibles for our scripture reading to Acts chapter 17 this evening, as we read the, uh, the entire chapter of chapter 17 here. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where it was a synagogue of the Jews. Paul, as the matter was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ." Some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sword, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people." When they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down, and are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. They troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. When they had taken security of Jason and of the other they let them go. The brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. There were more noble than those, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. When the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. Then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. They that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, Receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stonics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? Well, thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. 
For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all these things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of our own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysus, an Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Father, we thank you for your word that we've had the privilege of reading this evening. Now, Lord, we pray that you would take and take these words, Lord, and speak to our hearts this evening. Give us that which we need, Lord, that each of us in some way, somehow, might be made more like our Savior this evening. For it's in his name we pray. Amen and amen. Not many Christians will have been a Christian long and read or studied very much of God's Word with, without having hear about this message that the Apostle Paul preached at Mars Hill. And you'll notice as we read through the words of that sermon that he preached there, that certainly a few of those verses out of there are verses that are very familiar that have been used time and time again to call men to repentance. So the message that Paul preached there that day, yes, it was for those that heard his voice that day but it was also to be recorded in God's Word, to be used time and time again down through the years that men would be called to Christ. And I want to call your attention to two verses, maybe or maybe not. You have noticed this before, but verse 16 and verse 17 of our reading said, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, 
his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. You see, all this took place while Paul was waiting. How many times in our lives, I wonder, you know, are we waiting for something that's not yet come? You know, it, may, it might be some special holiday. I mean, as kids, you know, you can't wait till, you know, your birthday comes around or anything that'll get you a present. You can't wait. You get so excited about it. Of course, even as adults, we get pretty excited about those special things. Maybe we're going out somewhere special or somebody's bringing us something. And as it gets closer, we wait with anticipation. But sometimes it's the other way around. Have you ever felt with your life that you just really, you didn't know exactly where you were, where you were going? <laughs> uh, you know, maybe even sometimes as a Christian, we can know that we're saved and we can know that we want to serve God, but just don't really know what God wants for us. We know that He's got something. And of course, as we saw in the message this morning on the gifts of the spirits and the diversities of those gifts, the awesomeness of what God can do through people that will use what God has already given to them, not what else that we need, but just to use what God has already given us. We find that sometimes while people are waiting, it's a time when many want to give up. <laughs> well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know where to, to go from here. But the simple fact is, is that as we look at this passage here, that's where the Apostle Paul was when he arrived in Athens. He was there. He was just waiting. Now, a lot of people, and especially today when we're supposed to be so politically correct in the way that we use our words and how we use our words, so many times that's why that many hymns and many churches taking things out that refer to blood because that's not a very nice thing to be talking to people about. Just as assuredly, many people don't like to hear us talk about fundamentals because they don't like people to be dead set on anything. They don't like us as Christians to be talking about fighting and battles and wars and things like this because you shouldn't be stirring those kind of things up in people. Truth is, there is a big battle that's raging. There's a war that's going on around each and every one of us, even as we sit here tonight. And one of the most sobering thoughts that should possibly enter our minds is that every minute that we sit here, every minute that we sit here, even tonight in this church service, people are dying. And when people leave this world, People are going somewhere. Luke chapter 16, verse 23, And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. There was no holiday. There was no purgatory to try to get things sorted out. When he left this world, this rich man that was unsaved lifted up his eyes, being in torments. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, the Word of God says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. The Bible time and again uses this terminology that there's things that we need to fight for. There's things that we need to lay hold on to and not let go of no matter what. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18, the same apostle Paul that was at Athens when he was writing to young Timothy, he says, I, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. How many of you know somebody that their faith has just somewhere along the line, it's wavered, and they've ended up shipwrecked? People that you knew, you had every confidence that they loved God. You maybe saw them serving God and saw all the, the good that was being accomplished to them, and yet they end up shipwrecked on the rock somewhere because the storm got to be too much for them, and somewhere along the way, they just lost that faith that had held them steadfast for so long. Many times, even when it comes to preaching, I was trying to remember, I can't really think that I can remember in what, oh my, I preached my first sermon 40 years ago, and I really can't remember a time that I've been accused of walking too softly and too lightly in the pulpit. Um, the truth is, is that on the other hand, I've been criticized an awful lot of times that I should walk softer. But many times my responses have been this, you know, folks, I'm, I'm not up here to perform a play. I'm not up here to do a performance. I'm not up here to get any applause. I'm not up here to please anybody except the Lord. And he's the only one. And of course, when you begin to recognize this should be true not only just for a preacher standing behind the pulpit, but for each and every one of us as Christians. You see, every time that I'm preaching, I'm preaching to a people, to a people that have an eternity that lies before them. And I'm preaching to a people that they nor me nor anyone else has any knowledge of when that last heartbeat will come. Now, that doesn't mean that we get here and try to play on people's emotions, that we tell them some sob story to get them shedding a few tears and follow us in a few words. What we say is that we need to give them the truth. They need to realize and recognize and understand. Here, the apostle Paul had gone to Athens in Greece. He had left Silas and Timothy to work, to check, to help the church at, at Thessalonica. Now, the Bible says that while Paul waited for them at Athens, while he waited for them, well, he could have just waited around and took it easy and had a little holiday. I mean, he'd been working pretty hard up to this point. 
We find that he certainly would have had every excuse to kind of lay low for a while because we just read, I mean, the last two towns he's been into, they've had to sneak him out of town at night under cover so that they could get him out before he was either locked up or stoned or something done. He wasn't usually the most popular guy in town when he left. We find that in one case here, when he went somewhere else, the people from the other town even followed him over to cause trouble for him there because he'd gotten away from them over there. So, you know, Paul had a, a pretty reasonable reason, I would say, to just kind of lay low and take things easy because, after all, he was just waiting on his friends, his ministry partners, Silas and Timothy, to, to catch up with him. And of course, many times we find ourselves in that situation where we're just waiting for something else, for the next step, for the next path, for wherever it is that we're going after this. But the real question comes in is, what do we do while we're waiting? You know, a lot of times we spend much of our life waiting on something else. But what do we do with our time? Even when we've got reason, we can just convince ourselves, well, I've just got to wait, see what God wants to do. Some people spend their whole life waiting, waiting, and doing absolutely nothing. What I want us to share as we look at the Apostle Paul while he was waiting to go on with the ministry. He was involved. He was very involved. People were being saved. Things were going great. He was getting run out of town every time. But here he's got a, a pause. While he was waiting, what was he going to do until he took that next step of what God was going to do with him and where God was going to take him? I think that we can, we can learn a few things from what he did. And I want you to notice, first of all, here in verse 16, it says, Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, notice the next words there. His spirit was stirred in him. His spirit was stirred in him. I think that while we're waiting, sometimes we need a little stirring of the spirit. We need a little stirring of the spirit. I know that most, some of you are, are maybe too young to realize when Houses actually had to be heated with real live fires in, in, the, in the house. And, of course, if you ever had one of those fires and had it burning, you had to poke it. You had to stir it. You had to keep that flame going. If, if you didn't stoke those, those embers every now and then and stir them up, then they would just gradually die down. They would go out completely and go cold. Well, on the inside, too many times, everything's just left to lie, to go cold. The Apostle Paul, while he was waiting, something happened that his spirit was stirred within him. You've heard me say before, when light is put into a room with darkness, something has to happen. You can't have darkness and put on a light and nothing happen whatsoever. In a dark room, even a small light will show up so clearly and so brightly. And I'm saying so many times we use the, the darkness and the world and everything around us as an excuse when we ought to just be shining forth. We ought to be the, the light in the midst of that darkness. And if our light is burning, 
Maybe we need our spirit stirred a bit like the Apostle Paul's was here so that those embers are hot, so that if we're in the midst of the darkest darkness on the face of this earth, that something will happen. At least they'll be able to see that light that's burning in you and in me. Paul was in a city that was filled with idolatry. He just didn't fit in. <laughs> you ever feel like you just don't fit in with that crowd? Well, I hope you never feel like you fit in. You shouldn't feel too overcomfortable in the world. Something's wrong if you begin to feel too comfortable amongst their sin. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. You know, even, even the, the great city of Birmingham in which we live, if you travel up the, the motorway at night, miles before you get to the city, matter of fact, before you can even see any of the buildings of the city, the first thing you begin to see is this glow into the sky from all the lights that's shining forth. And then there'll come that point when the city's still miles away. But suddenly, you'll come over that knoll and you'll see all those lights of the city just come alive, just blazing. There's no way. Why was it that during World War II, when the blitz was taking place and the bombers were coming in, that all the lights were blackened out because you cannot hide a city that is lit sitting on the hill. You're going to see it. God is using that. You see, too many people feel too comfortable around the dirty jokes, around the foul language, around the ungodly acts that take place in our presence every day. Romans 12, 14 says, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Remember, that's what happened to Peter, wasn't it? <laughs> he didn't, he didn't, he had absolutely no intention whatsoever. Matter of fact, you know, he was absolutely sure that he would be willing to lay his life down before he would even think about denying the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet right there when Jesus was going through his most trying moments, we find him fitting in with the crowd, cursing along with the rest of them, just trying to blend in because he didn't want to stand apart. Things were getting a little bit too rough here for him to be identified with this one that was being persecuted before his eyes. You see, Paul's relationship with God was a spiritual relationship. And it doesn't really matter in this physical world and all of these physical circumstances. We can still have a spiritual relationship with God. Our spiritual relationship with Him is not dependent upon the others around us. John chapter 4, verse 24 says, God is a spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. But you see, I don't know what you might be waiting for in life. Maybe you're seeking and searching for God's direction. Maybe you know. Maybe as I challenged you even this morning, you know that you're saved. You know that you're a child of God. Well, if you're saved and you're a child of God, God has given you as an individual a spiritual gift, and that spiritual gift is supposed to be being used not for you, but for the good of the body. 
Are you using it that the whole body might shine forth that Christ would get the glory for it? I don't know. But while you're waiting, while you're waiting, maybe we need a stirring of the Spirit so that the embers don't go out while we're waiting for something else to happen. But I want you to notice here that the Bible tells us specifically, well, what will it take to stir my spirit? Maybe a great revival would do it. Maybe, maybe some good inspirational music would do it for me. Maybe one of the world's greatest preachers preaching to me would do it. What is it going to take? If, if I need to have my spirit stirred, what can really do that for me? Well, notice what it was with the Apostle Paul. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. It wasn't because it was a great revival. It wasn't some spiritual movement. It was the seeing the sin that stirred his spirit within him. You see, so many times we're wanting something fantastic in the spiritual realm to lift us up. I'm saying his spirit was stirred because he saw the sin around him. The problem is, too many times in our world, yes, and I know, as I said in the beginning, we're supposed to be so politically correct, so socially correct. We get so desensitized. We don't even notice sin anymore. Why? Because it becomes too much a part of our lives. We see it day in and day out. We participate. We think like they think. We do the things they do. We know we're a child of God but we don't want to stand out like a light in a dark room. We don't want them to think that we're some kind of an oddball. While Paul was waiting, I mean, this was between his ministry. While he was waiting for them to come so that they could carry forth with it, the Bible says his spirit was stirred within him because of the sin that he saw around him. You see, Paul was repulsed by the sin. Paul was repulsed by it. When he saw this city full of adultery, instead of backing off and feeling sorry for himself and feeling like nothing could happen, what did he do? Praise God, he put on his preaching shoes. He was going to do something about it. Why? Because Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. He knew what that sin would do for every one of them. But he also knew that the gift of God was eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He knew as James wrote in James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. <coughs> you think Paul didn't know what his flesh was like? 
what his flesh could desire, what his flesh could want. He knew very well. And he knew that all those around them, he knew that they had these, these desires, these fleshly desires. You've heard me say many times, too many people want to point their finger and say, the devil made me do it. <laughs> Most of the time, you made you do it yourself. Your flesh doesn't need a whole lot of help from the devil in most cases. It's already sinful enough. It can very well take you. And it's those lusts, those sinful desires. <coughs> we look around us. We live in a day when suddenly alcohol is no longer wrong. Drugs are okay. It's even hard to pin anybody down for murder anymore. Homosexuality is just an alternative lifestyle. The abortion and murdering of babies, that's, that's no problem because they're not really babies anyway. Pornography all around us, you can't walk into a convenience store. And of course today, in the last few years, how many reports have you heard on the news? How many reports have you read in the newspaper of all the, the child pornography, big name people being arrested and taken in? sin, folks. It's all around us. But what I'm asking us this evening is what is our attitude towards sin? Sin is there. Sin has always been there. And if we're wanting some great spiritual movement of revival to come along to wake us up, I'm saying we ought to be like the Apostle Paul while he was waiting for something to happen. His spirit was stirred within him because of the sin that he saw all around him. It repulsed him. He wanted to do something about it. He wanted to give them the truth. Is that the effect that the sinful world is having upon us? Does it repulse us? Does it make you angry when you see it, when you hear it? How do you respond when those people you work with are telling their dirty jokes? <laughs> How do you respond? when they're taking the name of your God, of your Savior that died and gave himself for you, and yet they stand there and they take his name in vain and make a mockery of it like it means absolutely nothing. Does that make you angry? Or do we just back off and say, oh, no, you know, I'm going to upset somebody if I say anything. Yeah, you might. Matter of fact, Paul was run out of town for taking his stand. Are we in a popularity contest? Are we trying to live lives that will please the world around us? While we're waiting for whatever God's got next for us in life, and as we look around at the vileness, the sinfulness that's all around us, does it stir our spirits that we ought to be making a difference? Maybe individually you think, I just can't do it myself. Well, I want to give you one other thought here. You see, while Paul was waiting, we see a stirring of the Spirit because of the seeing of the sin. And it made him, and I'm going to give you two choices. I was trying to alliterate these thoughts for you, and you can have either one of them that you want. Paul stood for the Savior, or if you prefer, he stood like a soldier. Paul didn't back down and walk away and pretend that everything was okay. 
I remember. May not agree with all of his theology. But Nicky Cruz has quite a testimony of how God saved him off of gangland there in New York when he'd gone in to, to rob the meeting that night. <laughs> I remember in one of his meetings, he stood there and he told those young people, and of course he's just a, I mean, even now as an adult, he's my age or older, older than me probably now, he's growing faster than I am, getting old faster than I am. But the simple truth is, he stood there and he said, it may not be good English, but he says, sometimes to be a Christian, just take some old-fashioned guts. <laughs> it just takes some guts. Sometimes you got to stand when it's not easy to stand. I'm saying, you know, folks, there's a little slogan. You know, in the, in the, in the United States military, and you got your different branches, they've all got all these nice little things about each other. Just the Air Force and the Navy and the Army and the Marines and the Coast Guard. And, and of course, it's the Marine Corps. They're supposed to be physically, they're supposed to be the meanest and the toughest. Of course, the rest of us say it's because they don't have any sense to do anything else, you know. <laughs> but the truth is, you know, is they're trained for one thing. They're not trained in the technologies. And they're not trained to fly airplanes. They're not trained to, to shoot missiles and things like that. They're trained to get out there and fight with their hands in battle. They have a slogan that says, we need a few good men. We need a few good men. I'm saying we're doing battle. God needs a few good men, a few good women, a few good young people. I know it's dark out there. I know, and folks, it's getting worse by the day. I would never have dreamed and believed that it would be possible in your country or my home country, either one, to see the attitudes towards a lot of this sin that we see today, that is so acceptable. And yet, we're the ones, we're the ones that are supposed to just sit back and say nothing and let it happen. You see, notice what Paul did here in verse 17. Therefore, when his spirit was stirred because of the sin that he saw, it says, therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews, in the place where those religious people were all coming together, and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him. I mean, whether it was in the street or whether it was in the church, he was taking a stand for Jesus. He was taking a stand for his Savior. He was standing like a soldier and fighting for what he knew was right. Why? Because he still took sin seriously. He knew it was war. He knew there was a battle that was raging. And he took it seriously. You see, you remember what happened to King David when the battle was going home and he decided to stay home and not go to battle himself? He sent his men out. He stayed home. Instead, he got in sin. He wasn't willing to go out and fight himself. He was willing to send others out to do the fighting. And in the end, he paid for it. How can we believe that a person without Christ is condemned? 
I mean, condemned for eternity, and yet be willing to sit back and just do nothing about it. I mean, what one of us, if somewhere in our daily walk tomorrow, we happen to be at the scene of a, of a horrible accident, where that somebody was lying there and need to be pulled out of danger, but we would just not get involved. What one of us tomorrow, when we were going out to work or to school or whatever we were doing, if we came out and we saw our next door neighbors and we saw the, the flames leaping from their house, who wouldn't go knock on the door and make sure that they knew what was happening? Oh, I won't worry about it. But yet we can have that kind of an attitude towards people that are facing much greater damage much, much greater torment than their house burning down or even their physical body being broken to bits. Saying when we see somebody in danger, we act, we do something about it. But why? Spiritually, do we not act the same way? John chapter 3, verse 18, He that believeth on him, Jesus Christ, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. He's already condemned. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Why is he condemned? He's condemned, and he's condemned for all of eternity because he hasn't put his faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, what are we doing about getting that message to him? You see, we need our spirit stirred within us by the sin that we see all around us. And we need to stand up and be counted. We need to let our light shine. Even if it's while we're waiting and we don't know where the future's taking us and we don't know what God's got in store for us, what are we doing right now while we're waiting? Sometimes we do need to wait on certain things. But while we're waiting, it doesn't mean that we just sit back and do nothing. Luke chapter 14, verse 23, the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Can I ask you a personal question? This is God's house. Do we believe that this place that we gather and we call our church home, do we believe that we proclaim the truth around here? Do we believe that these seats ought to be filled? The Bible says we ought to be going out and compelling them to come in. You see, we don't need to see it filled just for the sake of being filled. We need to see God's house filled. Because number one, the more those lost that come in, the more we can see saved. And once they're saved and discipled, guess what? They can go out and they can compel some more to come in. The idea is that we need a strong church that we might be able to reach our city, that we might be able to reach the lost souls around this world for the cause of Christ with the gospel message. But does it bother us 
does it bother us? We find that Paul went down to the marketplace. He didn't just uh, act like a Christian. <laughs> he did what he was supposed to do as a Christian. He confronted them with their beliefs. He reasoned with them, the Bible says. He defended the faith that he believed in. Today, how many Christians don't even know what they believe, let alone how to defend it? They can read about what everybody else believes and either just jump on board and either accept it or not accept it. But we need to know what we believe. We need to know that it's the truth. And we need to be determined to share that truth. Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher, without somebody to proclaim it? You see, there's only one way. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But he's saying, how can they believe if they haven't heard? How can they hear unless somebody is willing to go and tell them? You see, I don't know where you are in your own walk with the Lord tonight and the path that God wants you to go down and what God's got for you in the future and some of you may see that more clearly than others. But can I say this evening that, folks, there's too many people that are just waiting. But while they're waiting, they're not doing anything. Did you hear the message that Paul preached at Mars Hill? That happened while he was just waiting. <laughs> that wasn't part of his planned route. He went to Athens to wait for the others to catch up. But while he was there, while he was waiting, he was standing up for the Savior. He was standing like a soldier. He was fighting for what he knew. You see, I don't know. I, I, I spent five years in the military. Those five years I spent in the Air Force, you know, I never met a soldier of any kind, whatever branch, that had a desire just to go out and kill anybody. But I was there to fight for my country because I believed that the things that I stood for were worth fighting for. The freedoms that I cherished were worth defending. Folks, I want to tell you something. I love my country and I love yours. But I love the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ even more. I, without any shadow of a doubt, whether you agree or not, I was and I would still be willing to stand up and fight for the rights of my homeland and yours for that matter. But above all, I should be able to stand up and fight for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of heaven. What we know is eternal and everlasting. Are we willing? It's a dark world. And sometimes we can just get so hung up in waiting for that next step and nothing being happening. Very simple, simple message tonight. 
while you're waiting, while you're waiting, as the Apostle Paul, as you look around and see the sin that's permeated the world around us, will you let it stir your spirit? Stir your spirit. Let it get you just a little bit angry. And let it at the same time break your heart and have compassion to just stop and think about what that sin is doing for that individual. And you're more worried about whether they're going to like you. You're more worried about what they're going to think of you. You're more worried that they might think that you're one of those religious nuts than you are to give them the only thing in all the world that will save them from their sin. That's the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. You're the light. You're the only light. If your light's not burning in that darkness, there's not going to be a light. God has placed you there to be a light. Instead of getting stirred up by, or thinking that we want to get stirred up by some great spiritual movement, it's great revival and all of these things, let us get stirred up because of the sin and the needs around us that we're willing to do something about it, that we're willing to stand just like the Apostle Paul did, to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ, to stand up like soldiers and be counted and let our lights burn and let amazing things happen in your life as a Christian just while you're waiting. Maybe you don't know what God's got for you long term, but there's never a time we should be sleeping. There's never a time when we should back off. There's never a time when we should get so use to the sin around us that it no longer bothers us. It ought to bother us a lot. Father, Lord, I thank you this evening that in reading this passage that, Lord, you stirred my spirit and reminded me that, yes, it can be discouraging when it seems that all around us is so sinful. Oh, God, I pray that you'd allow it to stir us up in the right way, though, as it did the Apostle Paul while he was waiting there at Athens. His spirit was stirred when he looked upon this city. He saw the sin that was permeating this city and all of its idolatry. But he took a stand. He stood up for Jesus in the midst of it. He stood up like a soldier. He was counted. Yes, in the church, and in the marketplace. Lord, I pray that you'd just help us today. While we're waiting, help us, Lord, not to slack up and go to sleep and do nothing. But help us, Lord, to be stirred by the sin around us. And help us to be willing to take a stand, to be counted amidst it all. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.